Hello, this is the Joker on Fire podcast, and this is episode one. So i just like to talk about um, investments, specifically housing. Um, I had a conversation with my brother um, just yesterday, actually, and we were talking about um, just trying to give him some, you know, advice, some kind of, uh, what would you say, some un- unasked for advice. Um, but you know, stuff that I thought was in important nonetheless, um, about, you know, career stuff, um, you know, what people talk about investments and, you know, how people make money. Um, but also I tried to focus on, um, the people like the, the mistakes people make, um, with money and investing. And specifically, um, I talked about some misconceptions that people had, um, about, you know, what is like the end goal? Like, what is a true investment? What What is an investment? You know, what are different types of investment? What what types of returns um, you can kind of expect? Um, and so naturally for someone who's pursuing financial independence, financial independence, of course, is um, the definition is when passive investments basically um, fund your fund your lifestyle, you know, fund whatever bills you have to pay. So, you know, the basics, the rent, the medical um, food, um, all the good stuff and all that is done passively. So that's financial independence when your investments make you independent from needing to have a job. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, and w- what is an investment? You know, investment, of course, is, you know, some, some sort of money. Um, you know, there's lots of things that can make you money, but investment, I think, as most people understand it, is either a business, um, real estate, or a security. And of course, you know, business being like a store or a website, <clears throat> you know, real estate being um, like a house. Um, or hotel or something of that nature um, and security being like you know something that uh, the SEC is involved with you know stock or a bond or you know what are those uh, collateral bond <clears throat> those CBOs and all the stuff that you know caused the uh, 09 crisis <clears throat> so yeah I started talking to him about so I talking to my brother about <clears throat> you know stocks you know, you expect like a 7% return and that's kind of, you know, um, the main vehicle that a lot of fire people are really interested in. Um, it's interesting to actually go back to the history of the fire movement with, um, Domingue, Dominguez, um, the guy, the guy along with Ricky Robin who wrote, um, your money or your life, um, which is pretty much like a, uh, foundational book in the fire community, which basically went through the concept of, Hey, you know, you basically, you go to a job to make money and the time you spend your job is your life. And you, you know, the, say you get paid $10 an hour, you know, that means, you know, after taxes and after the car you drive to your job and the clothes you have to wear at your job and all the other costs that are involved, maybe you only get $5 for that hour after taxes, after the money it takes to, you know, um, all your expenses that go into your lifestyle, um, how much money are you actually getting paid for that hour? Like how much money do you have left over? Um, and so it's the history of the fire movement is actually, um, um, the history of the fire movement is actually, um, based off that book. That was kind of a major, um, you know, starting point for the whole movement. Um, it kind of died out for a little bit and kind of um, became um, kind of revamped 
in 2005, I think, with Jacob Fisker, um, who was the early retirement um, extreme website guy, and then Mr. Money Mustache really blew up the movement. Um, but Your Money, Your Life, that book, um, they did um, bonds. Like bonds were like the main um, driver of like the investments they recommended. And this was back in the 80s or 90s when you're, you're getting pretty good bond yields and they're secure and everything. Um, but it's just not realistic to try and invest just off bonds nowadays. Um, the yields are just way too low. And by yield, um, of course, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, you expect like maybe a two to 4% um, return on bonds, um, like a you know, bond index fund. And of course, you know, I'll just explain for anyone else who's not really so sure what a bond is, but bond is basically you're giving out a loan to someone. So there's corporate bonds, there's government bonds. So, you know, the government will, you know, it needs money. So it puts out a bond. Um, and so, you know, buys the bond, the bond holder, <clears throat> They're the one that gets the interest. Um, so they get whatever money that they bought the loan plus some interest. So, you know, they put a thousand dollar in the bond, they get, you know, three percent interest on the loan. Um and it's pretty simple. Um, corporate bonds, you know, higher risk, um, higher return, you know. Um federal government, pretty low return, but you know, low risk because, you know, everyone everyone buys American debt thinking that the US government will still be here tomorrow. Um, of course, you know, it's all backed by the American taxpayer. And, you know, it's basically, you know, America will still keep paying taxes to the US government. The US government can, you know, pay down their loans. That's basically the agreement everyone has in their head. Um, it's all about, you know, what's the credit rating of a country? How much do we trust that this country will repay you um, if you if you give them a loan? Like what, like that kind of relates to credit score, you know? Like what is the trustworthiness of this person to, you know, uh, you know, pay back a loan. Like, what's your history with credit? Are you good at paying back loans? When people give you money, do you pay it back? That's basically what a credit score is. Um, I think everyone can agree there's some serious problems with how credit scores are done. But, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's it's right to a point, you know? <laughs> it may seem silly to some um, people, especially young people, when you sign for a credit score. And, like, even if you're making decent money, you know, no company is going to... Um, no bank is going to give you a sizable mortgage um, without a decent credit history. Like, do you have, like, are you responsible? Um, because, you know, making a decent amount of money is not the same as being able to pay off your debts, you know? Um, and that closely relates to fire. Um, you know, the, you know, the other side of fire is, of course, retiring early. Um, basically, can you retire before you have Social Security? You know, um, you know, are you retiring at 30 or 40 or what have you? Um, and so a lot of that is, yeah, not just can you make a lot of money <clears throat> um, comparatively, um, but can you save it? Can you control your impulses? And, you know, um, it's I definitely feel like that is the the golden problem of our time. <laughs> It is, it is just, um, it's every, uh, life nowadays is like a platter of like dopamine hits you can take, whether it's food or, you know, drinking the internet, just like everything's available. It's mostly a battle of self-control over this like buffet of dopamine hits that you can take, you know, every, like everything is possible. Um, it's a matter of self-control in some ways, in a lot of ways. And in the whole in the whole fire equation 
like I've mentioned before, um, bonds are no longer the kind of way to, you know, keep a portfolio um, from decreasing because the bonds um, that people are getting, the yields that they're getting nowadays, they just don't keep up with inflation. With inflation at 2 to 3%, um, bonds just do not give you the amount of return. Like your, your portfolio will never go up if you're, you know, you're making, if you're, it's all filled with bonds. I mean, of course, you're unlikely to go down, but it's just never going to give young people the, the returns they need um, to start like the snowball of compound interest, start rolling down that hill. Another analogy I like to use is actually a rocket ship um, escaping gravity. Um, you know, once you once you build up to the point where, you know, rocket ship, you know, you're just using so much fuel to leave that ground. Um, it, you're, you're just burning insane amount of, an insane amount of fuel to just lift off the launch pad <clears throat> and you just keep burning it and burning it and burning it. And then once you like leave the atmosphere, like Earth's gravity starts pulling less and less on you and compound interest kind of, um, you know, starts helping out. <laughs> until you get to the point where you lead the atmosphere and you're golden. You, you need barely any energy left. You need, you need no energy actually to a certain point. Once you leave the um, earth's gravity to keep going, you know, you're just free sailing. Um, that's kind of like, you know, the um, analogy for fire, <clears throat> you know, it's fire is a ton of work. It's, you know, it's doing, it's a, doing a lot of things that your friends, um, it might not be doing. Um, it depends what kind of what kind of social circle you're handi- hanging out with. Um, but yeah, it just means doing things differently. Um, it, it means being a little disagreeable with how you li- live your lifestyle. Um, it's, it's always important to understand with this that there's you know a big difference between being frugal and cheap. Um, you know the definition I like to use is you know being frugal is when you make sacrifices for yourself. Um, you know maybe you don't get takeout. You know. Um, being cheap is when your when your spending choices start to affect people in a negative way, um, other people, not yourself. You know, sacrificing for yourself is very different than you know uh, negatively impacting other people. Um, maybe you know you don't pay <laughs> you don't pay your taxes because um, you want to save more money. That would be a, that would be a, an example of being cheap. Um, and also, you go to prison, so obviously not something I recommend. Um, so yeah, nowadays people in the fire community, the standard advice is to, um, you know, I use, like to use a um, a median ground between what Warren Buffett says and what Vanguard says. Um, Vanguard, of course, is the founding company of you know index funds. Um, founder of Jack Bogle passed away a few years ago, but his company lives on as the largest invested investor run. Um, investor-held company in the world. Um, by owning um, a Vanguard index fund, you become a owner of Vanguard itself. Um, so that way that the interests of the um, funds of Vanguard are the interests of Vanguard itself. And that's why Vanguard has some of the lowest fees um, and an index fund and just investing period, not with, not with traders. Um, you know, if you're interested in like, you know, trading stocks, which is not something I really recommend, um, because there's a whole class of people that live in New York city and that have spent billions of dollars, um, boring tunnels through mountains so they can decrease the, uh, the upload speed of their trades. That, that, that's something you can look up. Um, you know, 
though there's an entire class of people who live in New York City um, that do active trading for a living, and they are going to eat, lo- eat your lunch. You know, if you know anyone who try, I'm just of the opinion, and you know, evidence has shown that you know active investing is like lottery tickets for um, smart people. It's just something that um, it's it's a common fallacy that like a smart person thinks that you know just because they're smart in one area that they're smart in another. Um, you know, it's just it's just a huge pitfall um, for you know educated people or th- or people that are just really intelligent. It's a huge, gigantic pitfall um, to think just because your you know your domain knowledge in this area transfers to investing. Um, you know, sure, there's you know the story of Michael Burry, um, you know the guy who was like in med school um, and he successfully predicted the 09 crisis. Um, but you just have to understand there are probably thousands of other med school, um, you know you know, doctors, people that went to med school that, you know, really smart people too. And I'm sure a lot of them did poorly in 09. Um, you know, they didn't create a hedge fund like, like Burry and like, you know, run it successfully. Um, there's just, you just don't hear enough about the failures of investing than you do about the successes. So like the successes of one person were always just, that's what people focus on. Um, you always hear about the people who got it right. But the thing is, with so many investors in the world, someone's always going to have it right. Like you can always, um, it, it's very easy to cherry pick who the winners are. You know, even the people, even this like class of New York City people um, that, you know, will spend billion, like millions of dollars to shave off seconds with the speed that they do trades. Even they, you know, even they don't have you know great returns compared to the index funds and the index funds that track the market. Um, most investors don't beat the market. Um, you know they do all sorts of things that um, cause them to not have average market returns. Um, so many mistakes. Um, but the good thing about investing is that these mistakes are known. <laughs> you know there are a certain amount of mistakes you can make, and you can pretty much autopilot your investments. Um, it, it's very interesting. I think it's good investing is lazy investing. It's one of the few things where um, doing less makes you better at it, um, which actually can apply to a lot of areas. Um, but you know, I think Fidelity did a study of you know in the ten years after um, 07 to twenty seventeen, um, what investors did the best. Um, and the number one segment of investors that did the best in that time period um, were deceased owners of accounts. Um, so dead people had the highest returns of the segments they did. And the second highest segment um, they did on investors who had the highest returns were people who forgot they had an account at Fidelity. Um, it, it just goes to show you there are a few mistakes that you can make in investing. There's actually a ton of mistakes, but if you follow a few simple rules um, of investing, then you're golden. And unfortunately, you shouldn't expect doing anything more than that. You just start reaching um, higher risks and you know potentially higher returns, but just um, just higher risks of not diversifying. Um, 
it's just unfortunate. It's one of those things. Invest good investing in in stocks, at least, is something you you kind of just set and forget. Um, and like I talked about with um, you know Warren Buffett and um, Vanguard, Vanguard um, back to the recommendation of what like a standard portfolio should look like. Um, Warren Buffett, for example, for the average investor, he recommends they invest nine percent of their portfolio in the S and P five hundred and index fund, which covers the top five hundred biggest companies in the U.S. Um, it's market weighted, um, so if if Facebook owns twenty percent of the is is twenty percent of the Top 500 companies, then 20% of your um, your fund will be weighted in that stock. Um, so it's market it's market weighted towards the biggest companies. Um, and Vanguard, on the other hand, um, recommends any the stocks that you own, you have about 60% in the U.S. market and 40% international stocks. So you get some worldwide diversification across. U.S. companies, most of these companies are multinational companies, which means their revenues are distributed in other countries. Um, so that, gives, that does give you some international exposure as well. You know, I, these are two people I trust um, as <laughs> good places for investment advice. Um, and so that's why I am I'm a middle ground guy. You know, Warren Buffett says no, um, no international exposure needed. Because you know many of the S and P 500 is multinational companies, um, Vanguard recommends a 60/40 split. So you know what I do? I do 8% domestic and 20% international um, in my stock stock portfolio. And as kind of what what someone would call a young person, um, I don't own any bonds at the moment. Um, even through this coronavirus panic, um, bonds just do not make long-term sense for a young investor. Um, it's it's sacrificing stability, um, which I just haven't needed. Um, in the about three to four years I've been invested, um, I've seen a ton of, I've seen a bunch of crashes. Uh, I've seen, you know, I've just lived through the coronavirus crash where I think we went down from 3,300 points in the S&P 500. Um, and th- I saw that go down all the way to 2,300. And, you know, just, um, you know, beside that um, is something I've come to expect. Um, you know, so far, um, it's just something that as, as an investor, I'm, I'm well hedged and I know all the risks of, you know, selling my stocks at an opportune time. And for me, um, my identity is deeply rooted in buy and hold strategy. I'm just not someone who, um, goes in and out of the market. Um, I, I have, I have a phrase that I have from Jim, Jim Collins, um, um, the personal finance um, website that you know it's not about market timing you know timing when you go in and when you go out like when you buy when you sell um, it's time in the market it's compound interest being um, on your side um, and so yeah that that's kind of my strategy um, but unfortunately investing is just something like I've read 20 I've read you know 20 books and counting um, investing is just something that you don't need to um, really research in a deep way. Like there, there's a known strategy um, right now um, for investing. And maybe once um, eventually that index fund investing becomes not as great an idea is when index funding becomes too prevalent. 
when too many people are just going with the average returns, um, then mutual like active investors will become more relevant. But we have we're just not there yet. Um, so when that time comes, maybe I could get like a low fee active fund if index funds um, start to become too popular, where active um, traders. Um, become actually worth the funds. But <laughs> until we get to that, um, it's not really, that's not really a worry. Um, the two other, I guess, central tenets of financial independence are keeping your expenses low and, you know, working hard, um, trying to, you know, work as much as you can, um, work, um, you know, do your best to increase your income when when it's available. Um, that, of course, is like a trickier proposition for most people um <clears throat> you know your income is you know dependent on a lot of factors um where you are in life you know where you live um what's your educational experience um, how much opportunities you have in your area um and I, I think saving money is definitely something that brings a lot of people together um i think americans are known to always are looking for a great deal um, it's not necessary. They're not necessarily looking for a cheap product, but they're always looking at, you know, what, like, what is a great deal? The Americans always love to talk about that. Uh, I think that's like a, a good principle that brings people together. Um, I think it's also a good, it's like an ancient principle. Um, if anyone has heard about stoicism, which is kind of this ancient philosophy about, you know, um, Romans who would live less, less luxuriously than they could, um, as a way of, you know, self-discipline and mental health in a way of just experiencing negative um, emotions to train themselves to be ready to experience negative emotions in the future. Um, You know, living frugally, not only does it kind of train your mind to be more grateful for the things you have, um, but it also trains you for, you know, setbacks and, it also, you know, saving money, you know, whether you're investing it or, you know, having like an emergency fund so you're ready for storms and, you know, things that are thrown your way. Not only are you more trained to like tighten your belt and live frugally and, you know, have like a smaller footprint, not only do you need less money, but you're better trained to be able to accept it if you can. Um, and, once you, once you choose to live less than less than you earn, then it's much more powerful than if you're forced to. Um, you know, if you're making a certain amount of money and suddenly you have to take a pay cut or you, you lose your job. Um, if you're if you've already been living on you know seventy five percent of your salary or fifty percent, um, it's not as big as a drop. Like you're you're um, it's not as big as a emotional hit to your psyche when you've already been living on less than what you have. Um, and that's, I think, a huge part of FIRE where it becomes, you can kind of take control of your life in a way that you can't can't necessarily take control of, of it in other ways. Of course, you know, I think a lot of people do have a capacity to make more money. If, if you know, the trouble is everyone's doing that. It's a competition. It very much is, um, you know, everyone's trying to earn more money. Everyone's trying to do more with less. Everyone's trying to, you know, everyone, everyone likes money. <laughs> um, you know, they, they say money doesn't buy happiness, but for some reason, everyone's trying to get money. Um, happiness, for sure, is, is much more easily, um, easily attainable because it's not a zero-sum good. 
um, happiness is achievable for pretty much every, everything. Um, unfortunately, money is tied up with status. Um, it's tied up with a lot of other things. Um, you know, so people aren't working hard for money as much they are as much as they are like um, working hard for status. Um, you often see this with the fact that there are you know thousands of you know probably more working class um, careers available. You know, often often shortages in you know um, the trades um, because white collar work, um, is seen as like higher status. You know, people make choices, not just for money, but also for status. Um, so making more money is always going to be more challenging. Um, making more money and investing is almost always going to be more challenging, um, than saving money because saving money, um, is, is pretty much a zero sum game. I mean, of course, you know, when you save money, then that money isn't in the economy to, um, you know, it doesn't go to the restaurant that you could have gone to and, and you ate at home. Um, of course, that money, as long as you don't put it under your mattress, you put it in a bank with that, that bank loans out to money to businesses. Um, if you invest it, then it also goes to businesses that are going to sell things to people. Um, so it's not like your money isn't being used for the, the benefit of the economy. Um, so that's why um, saving is something that you can control. Um, you know, if you want to earn more money, um, there are ways to do that, but someone has to give you it. Like it's very much like a, uh, it's very much something that is dependent on outside. It's outside of your control. You know, once you had the money though, you have, you have autonomy over that decision um, to really decide how you're going to do it um, to maximize your own happiness and, you know, your family and whatnot. Um, Oh yeah, I think that uh, that takes care of this episode, and uh, thanks for listening.